into picking up where we left off last week. We're talking about three steps on how to profit from trials. And I told you last week that you don't need to pray for a trial because it's coming. It might be here right now. You might be in the middle of it. But whether it's here or it's coming, you need to learn how to profit from it. And so I want to go ahead and jump into James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. And we're going to read these verses, do a brief recap, and then we'll try. If you can give me your full attention and God gives me his grace, we may not have part 3. We may be able to get done. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Everyone say nothing. God wants you and I to lack nothing. Now, I said this to you as a, as a source of uh, a recap. If we don't have a supernatural mindset or an attitude, we're not going to have a supernatural life. You can't think naturally and live supernaturally. We, that's the reason why the Bible says we have to renew our mind. We have to retrain ourselves to think kingdom thoughts. Because we're well versed or adapted or trained to think like the world. But how many of you know the Bible says though we're in the world, we're not of it. Meaning that we are composed and we find the source of our life from another place. We're in a place that we don't get life from. We get life from another place. So we need to learn to think in alignment with that place. So I want to say it again. If we, if we don't have a supernatural mindset, we're not going to have a supernatural life. And I also said this, and I want, I want you to hear this, and then I'm going to spend a little time on this. If we opt, because when you have a trial, really in any area of life, you always have choices. God does not take from you the ability to make choices. You always have. You've heard me say this to you before, that when it comes to our walk of faith, we can live by faith or not. It's our choice. And when it comes to encountering a trial, the, the, the Bible makes it clear that trials are a normal part of the human existence. Everyone, no matter who you think they are, they could be the biggest celebrity, the wealthiest athlete. Everyone in life, if they're human, they have trials. The difference in there's a group of people who are in the world without God. And then there's a people who are in the world and they're of God. We have the ability to respond in a different way y'all following me so once again though we have a choice we can choose to respond to the trial naturally and i'm gonna i'm gonna remind you how the trials can come in a variegated way not every trial that we face is obviously spiritual some of them take on a racial tone, a political tone, a social tone. Because listen, the enemy's not above playing dirty. And if he can't get you to respond in a natural way in the spiritual realm, then he'll get you in the political realm or the social realm or the racial realm. He'll do whatever he has to do in order to get you to respond naturally. And here's why. Because if you opt for a natural response to the trial you're facing, 
you opt out of God's supernatural response. Put that up on the slide, please. If you opt for a natural response, you opt out of God's supernatural response. And then I've got the perfect illustration because I, I truly believe that none of you are as hard-headed or have made as many mistakes as I have. So I've got a long, I've got a deep well of mistakes that I can, I don't have to use your bad judgment. I can use a lot of mine. And it's also necessary for you to know that just because somebody's a pastor or a preacher or whatever title they go, they have trials too. And my wife and I, we know what it is to be betrayed. We know what it is to be stolen from. We know what it is to have someone go out of their way to sabotage us. Years ago, when we were on the mission field, uh, I discovered early on that for every missionary I know, that the weakest link in, in being a missionary is your home office. You've got to have a home office because somebody's got to be stateside paying your bills and taking care of your, your you know, business. They got to move the paper, make sure the deposits are deposited. And so for every missionary I know, that's always been the weak link. And, you know, we were never this massive ministry that could have a full staff. We had to rely, like most ministries do, on volunteers. Well, volunteers are good until they discover that ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. And there's not a lot of glamour in sitting in an office doing paperwork. And so our home office was always a source of frustration and trying to fix it. And then one day, and this is the reason I'm, I'm, I want to spend a little time on this, we received a call. Everyone say counterfeit. counterfeit. You need to learn early on that when you're praying, a sudden answer isn't always the right answer. That the enemy will bring a counterfeit your way that looks a whole lot like what you prayed about, but it won't be quite. And if it ain't quite, it ain't right. So don't settle for counterfeits. Take it from me. I got the T-shirt. Well, we received a call because we were in this thing where a volunteer just told us, I can't do this anymore, and we were having to make a move, and we were thinking, where can we put our office? we got to put it somewhere. We need some help. And I get a call, and I get a call from the, the, the son of the pastor who pastors the church that had ordained us, had sent us out, called us their own, and whom we considered to be our spiritual father. And this call said, Daddy was praying, and Daddy said, you're supposed to move your office into the church. We got everything you need. We got the space. We got the equipment. We got everything you need, and you need to bring your office here. I thought, hallelujah. Or should I say hallelujah? It was an answer to prayer. And, you know, because at that time, we were probably sending out about 1,500 letters a month. And it's a lot of work to print fold stuff post and then get posted 1500 letters well this ministry they had a machine about as wide as long as that pew that you hit print and out the other side the letters came already folded already stuffed already stamped and all you had to do is physically take them to the post office i'm like they said i can use it this is awesome they were going to hire me as secretary. They gave us space. They introduced me to the secretary they hired. I went through all the things of how to do our database, and this is how we respond to partners, and we do all of these things. Amen. Okay, we got on a plane. We went back to Poland, thought everything was great. 
About a year goes by because we typically would come back to the States, and this is long-winded, but you've got to understand this because you've got to understand what it is to opt for a natural response. So about a year goes by, I'm thinking we're just flying high, man. We went from a little Cessna to a 747. We're big time now. And we come back to America like we do once a year, and we begin our tour of churches. And, we're, and we go to the first church, and Deborah is my witness. This is how it happened. Someone came up to me and introduced themselves as one of our ministry partners. And they, they asked me a question that over this next season of touring in America was going to be repeated over and over and over and over and over again. They said, I'm one of your partners. Praise God. Thank you. I appreciate your support. Are you still on the mission field? Well, yeah. Why would you ask that? Well, we haven't received one of your teaching letters in about six to eight months. And the last six to eight checks we've sent you for support have not been deposited. And I'm thinking, wow, that's weird. Well, when it's repeated by several people at every church we go to, you don't got to have a lightning quick mind to realize something ain't exactly right. And so I would call our home office and they didn't answer our phone. So I called the church and the church said, well, as far as we know, everything's good. It must be they're just not getting their mail. So we finish our tour. We get back. We go to this home, the church. We go to our office space. And God is my witness. We open. You almost couldn't open the door to the space they had given us because it was just crammed full of boxes of unopened mail. I mean, it was just like chaos. It, there was paper everywhere. There were letters. There were letters from partners. There were past due bills. It was just box after box after a year's worth of mail just sitting there. And when I questioned him about it, I got rebuked. They said, well, you should have hired your own secretary. It's not our job to take care of you. And I'm thinking, but that's not what last year. You remember, we're going to hire you a secretary. You're our missionary. We want to take care of. Do you remember any of that? Well, it was it was my fault. And then one of the church elders who loved us said, you need to look a little bit further. He said, you need to go down to the local post office. And so I go down to the local post office and they got boxes of my mail that they have found dumped in the fields and in ditches and blowing down the street. And so very quickly it went from neglect to out and out sabotage. Now, I want you to understand the depth of this because as a missionary, I didn't have a work visa. In the natural, my only livelihood were those partner checks. Y'all following me? And so when they were dumping checks on the road, they were setting us up to fail. I mean, we could have gone. And to this day, I cannot tell you how for two years that we were in that nightmare, God took care of our needs each and every month. I honestly don't know how he did it. Because one plus one equals two, but not when God's involved. Because he brought money unexpectedly from crazy places, and he would, did it, he would do it at strategic times. Because this situation lasted a lot longer than it should have, and I'm about to explain to you why. Because how many of you know that when that happens, and it's your pastor, your spiritual father, the man you have submitted to, that you find out said do this, that gets you angry. And, and I remember, and I'll always remember, my wife and I were in a, a friend's house and we were standing in the driveway and we were talking about how are we going to get out of this situation? We've never been here before. We've never been betrayed at this level. And my wife was crying tears 
not because of the loss of money, but because of the betrayal emotionally and relationally. And my wife will tell you, I'm a wimp. If children cry or women cry, I'll empty my pockets. I just can't take women or children crying, and especially this one. I'd try to stop the world from spinning to get her from crying. And so we're standing there in the driveway, and I did what any man would do. And there's a reason. I want you to, everyone, look at me. I said, I will fix this. And there's a reason why I'm showing you my hand. Being That wasn't in defiance. I wasn't mad at God. It was almost like an exclamation mark. I'll fix this. I'll fix it. And my wife knew that even if I don't make it better, I'll try to fix something. If I tell her I'm going to do something, I'm going to try and do it. And so we go back to Poland with my mindset, I'm going to fix this. And now here's, here's what I want you to For years, God had been really, really good to us, and I never lacked for a place to preach. God had just been, all I had to do is make a phone call and my schedule could be filled in one day. And that was really unique and that was the favor of God and I was forever grateful. And it always worked that way till this year, the year that we were in. I mean, I would call in churches that would let me in. If I showed up unexpectedly, they'd let me preach. Suddenly, every door was closed. I couldn't get back to America to preach if I paid them to let me in. Every door was closed. A year goes by because we're still involved. Y'all, we're still involved in what we're doing ministerially over there. We're still raising up churches and training pastors and doing all those things. And in the meantime, I'm trying to get things fixed in America. And a whole year goes by. And it's about time for us to go back to America. And we're still in the same situation we were in. And my wife told me, she said, and I'll always, she said I thought you said you were going to fix this. And when she said that, I realized a year, a whole year had gone by. And so I went down to our international, I went down to the first floor of our house, which was our international ministry headquarters, a.k.a. a cow stall. Because when I lived in a little village in Poland, the bottom floor was always built for cows. A little bit of paint, garden hose, get all the stuff out, international ministry office. And so I'm down there praying, I don't... And it was as if God teleported me through time and space because I saw myself and heard myself perfectly say, I will fix this. I saw myself, I saw my finger, I'll fix this. And in a heartbeat, I realized what I had done. I opted for a natural response because I figured I can do this. All I got to do is make some phone calls and God will get us out of this situation because after all, I'm Jimmy Miller. I'm the man of the hour. I'm smart, I'm strong, and I'm semi-good looking. And so I figured I could fix this. Everyone say natural. A man ought not to think more highly of himself than he ought, but he's supposed to think of himself according to faith. But I instantly saw myself and heard, and guess what word was louder than any other word? I. We'll fix this. I had opted for a natural response and I had negated God's supernatural response. Well, I very quickly engaged this wonderful mechanism called repentance. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Would you please apply mercy and grace? Mercy because I made the mistake and grace because we need it right now. And God, within the matter of 72 hours, Cleve, a year had passed, and I had got nothing done. 
when I turned it over to God, within 72 hours, we had our ministry relocated and we were totally out from underneath that within 72 hours. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When I said I would fix it, we were in that condition for how long? When I turned it over to God, we were in that condition for how long? Listen, you can stay in your trial a lot longer than necessary if you opt for a natural response. If the enemy is able to poke you in such a way that he gets you to respond naturally, your trial is now prolonged. And this is the reason why we got to understand no matter what the provocation because the enemy's going to poke and poke and poke. And I don't want you to under do not miss. Is this OK this morning? Do not misunderstand me. I am not a pacifist. And when I tell you that you're not supposed to respond naturally to unfair things and racial or social injustice or any, I'm not telling you that wicked men should go unchecked. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. Evil needs to be held in check. And evil should be opposed. But before you take it to the street, you better take it to God. And before you pick up sticks and stones, you better pick up the word and say, what does God want? Because if we respond in a natural, listen, you can go out and burn things down. That ain't making change. But if you engage the way God wants you, then you can actually make a change. So we can respond when the trial comes naturally or we can respond supernaturally, spiritually. Let's keep going. Go with me to Exodus chapter 14. There used to be a song we would sing in the church. And the song would go something along. If I hold my peace and let the Lord fight my battles, victory, oh, victory shall be mine. How many of you remember that song? That doesn't mean be silent. It means hold on to that supernatural level of peace. And this song came from Exodus 14, 14, which says this. The Lord shall fight for you if you don't opt for a natural response to the trial. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. One translation just says stay calm. Don't be easily provoked. Go with me. We're going to go ahead and jump in. Go with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. That's all the recap. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, out of the Passion Translation says, We all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being. But God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity, nature, and timing of every test or trial you face, so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. And that's what it's about, coming out of the trial victoriously. With more in your pocket than you went into the trial with. With more in your heart than you went into the trial with. With more in your faith bank than you went into the trial with. But put up verse 3 because this is what we've got to know. We've got to know that the thing that's being tested, no matter what variety of trial it is, the thing that's being tested is your faith. I said this to you last week. Can you be treated unjustly and still believe in a just God? 
Can you be treated poorly or badly and still believe in a good God? Because that's what the enemy wants. Remember, I, Job's wife came when in the midst of his trial and said, Job, why don't you just give it up? You're still holding on to your faith confession. You still believe God is good. Look around you. Ain't nothing good in your life. And you're sitting here telling me about a good God. Why don't you just curse God and then die? That's what the enemy wants. And you need to understand that's the objective of the trial, but it's not the objective of the test. The trial comes for your destruction. The test is about your production. Is this okay? Hmm. To know means to have a clear understanding. You must know that this trial is a process and not a destination. I want to say that again. You must know that the trial is a process. It's not a destination. God did not ordain you to misery and God did not ordain you to trial. Your faith is, being, is what is being tested by being put on trial. Listen to this. Will you stand by your convictions that God is and that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him? In the midst of a trial, will you stand by your conviction that God is for you and not against you? Mm. You, I wrote the, you once confessed that Jesus is your healer. What about now? Now that your trial is physical, do you stand by your confession or do you want to change your confession? Hmm. Luke chapter 21 verse 19 says this, By standing firm with patient endurance, you will find your soul's deliverance. The trial is designed by the devil to bring you down. And I want to say this, so you hear this. God is not the author of the trial, but he's the editor. He's not the author. He's the editor. And that's what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He will screen and filter out the severity. The trial is about your destruction. The enemy does not put you on trial to see you become out victoriously. Are you all with me? The trial is about reducing you to nothing. Stripping of you, stripping you of your faith and of your dignity. But God edits it in such a way that the trial becomes a test. The trial is meant for destruction. Verse 2 is about a trial. Verse 3 is a test. The test is about your production. Let's, keep, let's read, go, go, to, go to James. Put James up on the screen. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing, having a full awareness, being cognizant that this is a testing of my faith, and it produces, not reduces. What does produce mean? Produce means to bring out ahead, to cause to increase. Selah, I'm going to let this sink in. The devil puts you on trial. God edits it so it becomes a test. And to the test, he gives you a way out called joy. 
so that that, was, that which was meant for your destruction becomes a tool of production. So that you come out of the test at a higher level than you went into. You went into the test at 10th grade. You come out at 11th grade. You went in there barely having faith. You come out a giant of faith. Because God edits it. Now if that ain't helping you, that's helping me. Your response determines if it makes you less or makes you more. Because if you respond naturally, you're in a trial. But if you respond spiritually, supernaturally, it becomes a test. And it's about my production. And you need to know this going in so that when the midst of the trial and everything's being questioned and it doesn't feel good, I am not telling you that this is pleasant. This is the reason why I told you last week, you don't get past the first word that James uses and realize he's calling you out of a natural response into a supernatural response. You've got to be spiritual people. You can't behave like your neighbors who don't know God. You can't talk like they do. You know God. They don't. They might talk about how everything's going to hell in a handbasket, and you've got to talk about how God's in control. They might be talking about inflation. You got to be talking about promotion. Ain't nobody listening to me. If you talk like they do, you're going to get what they get. Because life and death and the power of your tongue. So you might be going through it, but you got to say, listen, this is going to come out for my good. I don't know when I don't know how, but I know God. And God is for me, and God is with me, and God is in me. And there's not a weapon that's ever been formed that can bring me down. Now, this is unpleasant, and I don't like it, and I didn't cause it. But yea, though I walk through, and I'm coming through. Hmm. To bring forward, to make stand out. Another way, another pr- the word produce also means to work out. Now, when I say work out, what do you envision? Maybe pumping iron. I can see somebody there with those big ropes doing this. I don't personally do any of that. Need to. But when you work out, let me ask you a question. When you endure the pain of the workout, is the pain the goal? The workout's not the goal. Greater stamina, a greater physique, better health, that's the goal. You go through the process knowing that if I put up with the process, I'm going to be healthier. So James says you got to know that what's being worked out of you is the human tendency to give up early. Ah, said I. What's being worked out of you is, the, is the, the fatalistic mindset. Well, if I'm facing a lion, that's got to be the end of my story. But no, 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 no. When you're like David, the lion becomes a tool of promotion. You kill the lion, you kill the bear. Then when you face Goliath, you're able to say, I've already taken out the lion. I've already taken out the bear. I've had small victories. Now this is going to be no different than that. Is anybody listening? The God who came through in trial A 
And the God who rescued me in trial B is not going to desert me in trial C. Trial A brought me to a higher level. Trial B brought me to a higher level. Now trial C is going to put me on the throne. I'm going to inhabit the place of my dreams because if I don't sabotage my own success, what the enemy sends to destroy me is going to serve to promote me. Because that human fatalistic tendency is going to be dissolved. Because when you see God come through in small ways, then you know the God of the small is also the God of the medium. And when God comes through in medium-sized ways, now God is the God of the large. Ah, Three steps to profiting from these trials. This, listen to this, this process by God's grace is developing within you hupomone. Hupomone. You didn't even know you had hupomone. What is hupomone? Hupomone is endurance, patience, patience, endurance. It's the ability to stay the same no matter what happens. That you sing a song of victory when there ain't no battles. And you're still singing the song of victory when you're in the middle of the biggest battle of your life. Your song don't change because your God didn't change. That's hupomone. That when hupomone is working within me, you don't know I'm going through hell because I got a sour disposition on my face. You, by, you listen to my words, you would never know I'm going through it because all I'm talking about is victory. That's hupomone. That my confession is as enduring as my God is. And these trials are working. The enemy's like, hey, I think he's freaking out because he keeps trying. And he, he ain't real smart. He's very persistent, but he ain't real smart because if he was smart, he would have never tried to overthrow Jehovah. But he keeps trying over and over and over again. And every time he plans something and he plots something for your destruction, you get more hupomone. And there comes a day that no matter what you're going through, you look like, walk like, talk like, just like Jesus. That's when hupomone has worked in your life. Are you following me? The process of developing this, it's in there. Just like within you right now are all the muscles Arnold Schwarzenegger ever had. But you got to work out all the stuff that's between you and that muscular physique. Hupomone is in you. Christ-likeness is within you. But the process of stripping away everything that disguises it is the trial. That when I respond as God would expect becomes a test that serves to be my promotion to another level of life. Is this okay? I'm going to try and hurry this up. Jesus made an amazing statement, and I want you to see it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, where he said, but the one who endures to the end is the one who will be saved. Now, of course, scholars will debate this, and I think in light of what we're preaching, what it means is this. You'll find salvation of that environment when you don't sabotage your own process. When you stick with what God gave you to do. No matter how long it takes, no matter how poor it looks, no matter if it looks. Listen, aren't you glad Noah didn't stop at year 50? That he patiently, consistently, 
put it together. Mm. This is what each consecutive trial produces, an understanding that together with God, I defeated the bear, I defeated the lion, and I will defeat Goliath. Maybe you went into the trial not sure if he could, but you discover he can. Maybe you went into the trial not sure if you could, but you discover you can. You can make it. And together you and God are an unstoppable force. Let's keep reading in James chapter 4. And let, everyone say let. Once again, James is saying this is your choice. You can either choose to stop because it's too painful and it's taken too long. Or you can let this hupomone, this endurance, the ability to stay the same. See, many of us have believed the lie. We believed a lie that we are the victims of our environment. And if you're in Christ, I got news for you. You ain't a victim of nothing. If you're in Christ, you've already won. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. If you're in Christ, you're not a victim. Now, the next thing you got to realize is quit playing one. But, Pastor, you don't understand what they said. Oh, please, they've said it to me, too. I've been called everything but a child of God. I've given people large amounts of money only to hear them say, you're the devil. And I want to say, well, then the devil wants his money back. You do good and they speak of you as if you're evil. But you keep plugging along. Why? Because God is greater. And God ain't changed. That's between them and God. Hmm. Let endurance, let hupomone have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete. Now, when James is saying let, this is what he's saying. Don't sabotage your own victory by quitting. You've come too far. It's too early to quit. Don't prevent God's grace from seeing you through by giving in. James says you must let this endurance, this hupomene, have its perfect, and I love this, its perfect result. What does he mean by perfect result? Go with me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 3, 4, and 5. Romans chapter 5. Moreover, this is out of the Amplified. Let us also be full of joy now. Let us exalt and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. Verse 4, and endurance, fortitude, develops maturity of character, approved faith and tried integrity. And character of this sort produces the habit of joyful, confident hope of eternal salvation. Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us. For God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Selah. What Paul is saying here is, listen, you've got to know that this is producing something in you. And that God is preparing you for that which he has prepared for you. And that this is not your destination. This is just a process. Let's say that together. This is a process, not a destination. 
Paul did not rejoice because of the tribulations themselves, but because of their beneficial effect upon his Christian life. Hmm. I'm going to skip some things for sake of time. Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Paul wrote this, and we know that all things. What does all things mean, Pastor? Well, I Googled it. It means all things. The good, the bad, and the ugly. They all work together. For what? For the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Within this context, James contends, listen to this, that there's a very practical resort, result of facing trials with pure joy and with deep faith in Jesus, and that is Christ-likeness. It develops within you perseverance, and this type of perseverance has no expiration date. You've heard of the faith of Abraham, right? The longer it took, the stronger Abraham became. The Bible says he didn't grow weak in faith with the passing of time. But the, the more t- the older Sarah got, the stronger his faith got. When he looked in the mirror and he sang that Toby Keith song, you ain't half as good as you used to be, whatever that Toby Keith song, I don't listen to that kind of music. It was even, I don't even know where that came from because I ain't never heard the song. But I know I heard, I think it was Brian told me. That... Somebody named Toby Keith, who I've never even really heard of before, sang a song about being half the man he used to be when he was younger. And I think Brian knew all the lyrics, so (laughs) see Brian after church. But when Abraham would look at himself and realize he wasn't what he used to be and Sarah wasn't what she used to be, his faith didn't grow weak. But instead it became strong. Why? Because he considered him faithful who had made the promise to begin with. And see, you and I, when we're going through a trial, we got to, is this what God prophesied to us? Did he prophesy that our end would be misery or glorious? Did he prophesy that we wouldn't reach the end of our journey or that every, every dream and every vision would be fulfilled? Is he faithful? Then that gives us a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. And we know this can't be the end because this ain't what he prophesied. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, listen to this. Being perfect means flawless in character, having reached the end of development. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect. Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let this hupomone have its perfect result. What is its perfect result? Its perfect result is that you'll have a character that's just like Christ. Yes, sir. I don't know why it's so quiet. It's good. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, The word complete in the book of James means to have a body without blemish. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. Yes, I'm hurrying. 
All that he does in us is designed to make us a mature church for his pleasure. Until we become a source of praise to him, glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. Everyone say possible. possible. I've heard preachers say that Christ likeness is an impossibility. I've heard him say it. I've got issue with that. You want to know why? Because the Bible says it is not only possibility, it's our calling. It's our destination. It's the whole reason why when you gave, is this okay? Y'all could give me a few more moments. Do you want to know why when you gave your life to Christ, he didn't just take you to heaven? Because of the process of Christ's likeness. So that you could go through what you got to go through to be just like him. Because the planet needed him then and the planet needs him now. The planet needs a church who's not focused solely on entertainment. The, the world needs a church that is filled with people who are just like Jesus, who have gone through the process, their faith has been tested, and now they stand in the middle of all of the chaos and they are evidence that God is God. Because the glory abides on them. Hmm. This is why I say, and I'm trying to hurry, if we are addicted to our own comfort, we forfeit our destiny. God's, God's, listen to God's image of us is greater than our present state. So he works to bring out of us what has been implanted in us so that the whole world can see his glory. Hmm. That is good. I'm preaching myself happy. We remain joy-filled because the greater one is on the inside and he is greater than whatever is on the outside. I'm going to bring... I've been around long enough to know that word of faith people and grace people don't like certain passages of the Bible because they don't line up with our confession and so when you talk about endurance faith people don't like it and grace people don't like it but there is a process and it's undeniable I mean we can deny it all day long but the fact is we're going through it and if my denial does not prohibit it from coming then I need to learn how to profit from it is this okay this is why James says let it don't give up on it don't do that Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. I got two verses, and then I'm going to give you the three steps, and I'm going to get you, let you go home and watch the Super Bowl, knowing that your team's going to lose. And I don't, it doesn't matter who your team is. One of them's going to lose, so I got a 50% chance of being a prophet. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. But even though he was a wonderful son, he learned to listen and obey through all his sufferings. Verse 9, And after being proven perfect in this way, he has now become the source of eternal salvation to all those who listen to him and obey. Can I give you a non-theological explanation of this? Jesus had many opportunities to stop. Jesus had many opportunities to choose another way. But we all know what he said ultimately was, Father, not my will, 
but thy will be done. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says this, And after you, had, you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Your trial will be uncomfortable, but it will make you unstoppable. That's good. Your trial will be uncomfortable, but it will make you unstoppable. Well, so what are the three steps? You ready? Write this down. Step number one, consider it all joy, meaning a spiritual response. When the trial comes and you have in the natural the tendency to just get angry, get offended, consider, take time to step back and don't, you don't got to be quick to respond. Y'all listening to me? You don't got to be quick to respond. Let me chase a rabbit real quick. That time I told you about when we were betrayed. I was in a hotel room fuming over what had been done to us. Fuming. I mean, at that point, I thought I really understood King David. You remember King David? He prayed, Father, knock their teeth out. It's called precatory prayers. David prayed, you know, they did me wrong, and I pray that you do some divine MMA on them. Some ground and pound as only you can do it, Father. You have my permission. Take them out. And I was in my hotel room, and I'm praying pretty much the same thing. I'm like, God, you know that what they did to me was wrong, and I was angry. And I'm saying, God, you need to take them out. I alone am holy and pure. They are heathens. And I heard the voice of God. I heard God say, what are you so angry about? And I was like, hello, you're God. You know what they did, but I'll be happy to rehearse it again. And God said, what have they done to you? And so I began to rehearse it. And God said, no, no, no. What did they do to you or for you before that? This is what he said. How much money have they given you? Now, well, now you're just plain dirty. Because I want to focus on what they did wrong. I don't want to focus on... And but the Lord said, how much money have they given to you? Well, I didn't have my records in front of me, so but I kind of knew because some of them had been pretty big gifts. I mean, to launch us overseas. And so I just added up what I knew in my head and it was well north of one hundred thousand dollars. Well, north. And so I said, well, they gave me more than one hundred thousand. And I heard God say, and you're angry with them. Like, oh, man. Y'all following me? See, the natural response is to focus on the pain of the moment. But if we'll step back, God will say, I want you to take a wider picture. Change the focus. And the Lord actually asked me, he said, were they obligated to do that? Did they have to do that? Or was that out of the generosity of the heart? And I had no choice but to reluctantly admit, no, they gave me that money out of their own free. And you're angry with them. Well, I was 10 seconds ago. Consider it. Consider it. Look beyond the pain of the moment and consider the goodness of God. Consider what God has done for you. Consider how God has edited 
what you're enduring right now and have a spiritual response. That's step number one. If you want to profit from the trials, you've got to be spiritual. Number two, knowing. Focus on the, the production, not the pain. Don't talk about what you're going through. Talk about where you're going to. And know that God is going to bring you out of this at a higher level of life. Your spirituality is going to, you're going to know God better. You're going to know yourself better. And you're going to know victory in a way you never did before. Yes. Step number one, consider. Step number two, know. Step number three, let. Don't sabotage your own success. Let the king do his thing. He'll bring you out in due season. Enough said. Amen. Stand to your feet this morning.